Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey everyone, welcome back. How's everyone doing? Uh, I just wanted to say, first of all, thank you for all the love um, about last week's episode. It seems that that kind of hit a a nerve for many people. I appreciate it. I really appreciate the love, but more than anything, I'm just glad that you are, you know, finding what you need here. (laughs) And that, you know, I'm able to speak to uh, so many of your hearts. So I really, um, I appreciate I appreciate you. I appreciate you all. Thank you. So this week, I have with me such a great episode. Hilsa Fort Martinez. She is a bilingual licensed marriage and family therapist in Florida with over 30 years of experience in conflict resolution, improving interpersonal relationships and navigating transitions. She specializes in Uh, family therapy, women's transitions, as well as marital and premarital therapy. And her work focuses on helping women overcome the devastation of betrayal in order to restore their self-trust and help with the decision to re-engage in relationships. The should I stay or should I go question. So I I just got to adore her. Her approach to help you rediscover yourself is honest and solution-focused so that you can focus on living a fulfilled life in emotional wellness, which, y'all, comes through loud and clear in this episode. So we are talking today about betrayal, healing from betrayal, um, what it takes, literally, listen up, y'all, step by step, what it takes to heal from betrayal. And also, what is betrayal? It's not just infidelity. There are other forms of betrayal as well, Um, but we talk a lot about infidelity and the step-by-step process to getting through it, what's required of the person who did the betraying and what's required of the betrayed party. So she's wonderful, wonderful. I adore this woman. So listen up. Here is Hilsa Fort Martinez. Hilsa Fort Martinez, thank you so much for joining us and having a conversation today about betrayal. This is such a big topic for so many of our listeners, and I'm I'm really grateful to talk to you about it. I appreciate the time, Kate. It is a, a big topic and very often one that literally gets shoved under the rug. Yes, absolutely. And we will we will get to that because I that's a really huge part of it. But let's talk about betrayal. Like there's so many forms, right? I mean, oftentimes when, you know, we'll talk about betrayal, we'll, we think about cheating, but you, you sort of talk about there's, there's other kinds of betrayal, right? I like to be able to talk about that because oftentimes we don't have that knowledge of all the other different ways that 
betrayal happens. And essentially, I break it down very often talking with my um, clients about how betrayal is a is a broken promise. It's a promise whether it was done overtly or you know verbally or non-verbally, covertly or overtly. It was a promise. And many couples make that promise to each other about being uh, honest and transparent. And so, but it isn't always said out loud. It isn't always certainly not written down or anything like that. So I really try to help people understand that a broken promise can be anything from, you know, financial betrayal to what I call loyalty, you know, is are your friends going to be more important than our relationship? Um, uh, you know, our in-laws or the extended family become more important than our nuclear family. Uh, there's what I call, you know, the uh, concept of like a lack of support. Uh, so I get, um, uh, I don't know, a promotion or an award. And are you going to be at that ceremony backing me up, cheering me on? So there's a variety of types of betrayal. Of course, we usually think of the more common one, which is often the sexual uh, affair. And we think that's what an affair is. I'm sure you've heard your clients tell you, well, but, you know, he didn't actually um, cheat, you know, because, you know, he didn't have um, sex with the person. But they've had these six or eight months of extended, you know, conversations. And so, yeah, there's a variety of ways to define. And that's one of my first questions with with friends or clients, you know. What are we talking about? How is it that you feel that the promise or promises were broken and then go from there? It's and it's so interesting because, you know, I remember but and, and I feel like this is God, wouldn't it be great if these were premarital conversations? Right. Wouldn't it be great if this was the kind of thing that we had in premarital counseling? Right. Right. Because I know I remember being in my marriage and every time something I would feel betrayed by a friend or I'd come home and be like, so-and-so did this or said that or whatever. My ex would always take their side against me mm, right? and be like, well, I mean, you, you know, you know, you tend to do this or you, and I always felt so, I was like, you never have my back, right? You never have my, it, and it, and it didn't matter what it was. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and I never really put that together as a form of betrayal but i but it really was that's exactly what it was it really was and if you think about it very often when you talk to people who have gotten to the point of having a sexual affair it usually isn't something that's happened like right there or that's the first time very often in in my experience it's been a pattern of a relationship pattern one of like you said turning turning away from each other instead of towards each other so it's those different ways that you're talking about not really supporting each other not having that loyalty not having that uh confidence in you know that reliability it's those things that that tear away that that when you have when a sexual affair happens oh my gosh that's the most dramatic but there usually has been a, a disentangling of that, of that promise and that connection. Love the way you, I, I really love the way you're looking at this or you're, you're phrasing it right. That the disentangling of the connection, it's like death by a thousand cuts, right? Mm -hmm. By the time you get to having an affair, right. There has been usually so much else. Very often. Right. Yes. Very often. 
And, you know, I often say that affairs don't occur in vacuums, mm-hmm. right? Like, right. And, and I and I guess it's not just like, oh, there's a problem in the marriage. And so someone goes outside the marriage. It's also there have been all of these all of these issues and all of these smaller betrayals leading up to it. So so what do you say to clients when there have been these sort of these smaller betrayals, right? If someone's listening mm-hmm. now and their, their husband, their partner has not had a full-blown affair, mm-hmm. but there have been these, these smaller betrayals along the way, what do you recommend people do? Is this, I mean, is this a time to get into therapy like right away? Oh, I, I encourage, you know, and this might be my bias, right, Kate, but I think everybody could do a little therapy, you know, and I think yeah, I'm right there with you, <laughs> right, you know, to always have a place to have like some, you know, honest conversations in a safe environment, et cetera, et cetera. So yes, definitely. If, if we are feeling, if you are feeling that you're um, these, these things just, you know, like everything like doesn't feel in the same way or in the same uh, sink, you know, like not feeling as aligned. To me, those are um, flags, you know, they could be yellow flags, you know, not full bone red flags, as, as they say, but those are flags that we should pay attention to. Yeah. Therapy, I think, obviously, to me is a is a safe place to have these kind of conversations, explore what's going on, you know, and where where have what are the expectations because many of us as women, by the time we get to that place, we have lost so much of ourself, you know, the one with the capital S. We've lost that sense of self. And if we pay attention a little sooner, sometimes we can intervene. The end result may be the same, right, Kate? I mean, it may end up being the same that, you know, we either stay or we go. But the erosion of our sense of self, of our instincts. That to me is a big side, um, you know, loss that happens with betrayal. Yeah. And that's sort of a, um, I mean, that's a huge one, right? This, this sense of self, as you talk about, Mm -hmm. right. And you're losing your instincts because, and so much of this can be a product of being gaslit, um, lied to, Mm -hmm. or, I mean, how, how else do we lose our sense of self in relationships? How, how does that manifest? How does it happen? You know, when I see it in relationships, you know, um, very often uh, only one partner will come in first. And, and very often it is, it is the woman who is more uh, open or approachable with the whole concept of talking. But however, I've had both, both ends of the continuum. But usually and having that person come in first, what I really want to help them to understand is where are they on that kind of uh, proverbial continuum, you know, of how, how far are they away from their sense of self and how much of it did come from this relationship? Like you said, the gaslighting is something that um, I, I use this term with many of my clients and they have no idea even what that is. Yeah. Okay. And the whole idea of being, you know, um, uh, put down, criticized, uh, the, the negative self-talk that surrounds them. Very often, a lot of these women grew up in families like that, Kate. So this is very, you know, like it's par for the course. Well, what do you mean? That's, oh, that's just how he talks. Mm-hmm. He doesn't really mean that. 
you know? And so the gaslighting is very often the, one of the first pieces of just trying to do a bunch of just education and really having people sit with, uh, well, what would it be like if somebody actually uh, was your cheerleader or somebody actually did, you know, step up for you and you felt you could rely on them? How do you think that would feel? And so many times it's even that tentative having them try on something that could have predated the relationship and definitely been doing this long enough to know that there's no coincidences, right? We, we generally tend to go towards the, the partners that are familiar to us. That's right. Let's talk about why we do that. I mean, we know this, we're, we're professionals in this. So we, we see that pattern. We know this, but to sort of the lay person, like, why do we do that? I mean, the, the simplest way to, to explain it is we do what we know. Mm-hmm. We do what is familiar. You know, if you have a plate of food in front of you and it's part of your, you know, background and your comfort uh, food, that's what you're going to go to versus a plate of food food that you don't know and that the tastes and the smells are all um, different and different could be uh, good or bad. So the simplest reason is we go towards what looks familiar and feels familiar. Mm-hmm. We don't always go through the process of whether the things that are familiar are, are good for us or not. Right. But even it's, you know, so often we're so con we are consciously aware, right? We're like, I am never going to do that <laughs> because my childhood was terrible or my dad mm-hmm. treated my mom terribly and all of these things. And, you know, there was all this abuse. And so I'm totally not going to do that. And then cut mm-hmm. to... <laughs> And then cut to exactly. Okay. But you know, they'll say to you, I did it differently, you know. Um, he right. he's not a drinker, Kate. He's not, he doesn't beat me, he doesn't. So there is a certain level of evolution that, that mm-hmm. they did learn and that they did come. But like you said, that's where something like gaslighting becomes so insidious, you know, because okay, you know, but he's not he does he doesn't mean that and he doesn't hit me Kate and he doesn't drink and he doesn't go out all night carousing so we give ourselves all of those um understandings and and layers of understandings um while while we're trying to really come because you know we don't know what we don't know right right Mm -hmm. and so there's and there really is a it's not that this is not a predetermined, um, unfi- unmovable, unfixable process, right? I mean, we, we can, we can change the pattern. We can actually, right. We doing the work in mm-hmm. therapy with a good therapist, right. Mm-hmm. We can unlearn, right. What was familiar. Right. I do believe that after, um, over 25 years that I've been working with, with, uh, couples with families with with women i i still very much believe in what we do and in the process of you know like lovingly and um uh a little i'm i'm not so gentle my my style is a little bit more of the tough love approach but Excellent. but lovingly and and tough kind of helping people to kind of you know open the 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 horizons so to speak as to possibilities of there are other ways to to live, to exist, to to kind of come into our own, even if they're very, very unfamiliar to you at this point in time. That's right. That's right. It's so true. So true. That's your, and that's your Instagram, isn't it? Tough love. 
Yes, it is a tough love healer. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, my clients helped me kind of come up with that one because they were like, well, if you want somebody who's going to give you, you know, the straightforward, honest approach. And and many times, you know, we need that still within loving, safe terms, you know. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yes. I think, I think my clients would probably say the same thing about me, but you know, I give it to them straight. I'm not, I'm not here to pussyfoot around and you don't want that. (laughs) Right. And you really don't want that. I mean, that was one of the things that um, has resonated uh, to me always about your, uh, your podcast and your work is yes, you really don't want that. They think that maybe they do, but they really don't. They really want somebody who's really going to be able to kind of, again, disentangle, clear the cobwebs, whatever cliche we want to use, you know? Yeah, totally. So let's talk about cheating um, because that really feels to me like the ultimate betrayal. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that you and I are in agreement. We should clarify that, you know, emotional affairs are affairs. That is cheating, right? Because your promise Mm -hmm. in your marriage isn't just for physical fidelity. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So why do people cheat? I mean, you know, this is always, uh, that's the, what do they call it? Like the $64 million question, you know, with um, individuals, there is both a relational pattern, like you were talking about before, the things that maybe have happened within the relationship, the uh, unattending, the, the overall neglect that could lead, and those might be more relationship things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, there is, of course, the, the individual. The person themselves who is uh, cheating may have his or her own individual reasons for doing that. Things all the way from, you know, uh, trauma based, right? Uh, Let me do to you before you do to me. Like could be, you know, um, the more of the unconscious from the narcissist kind of perspective, the needing attention, the needing that kind of adrenaline high. I talked to a lot of, particularly with with men, the adrenaline high, just keeping that secret going. So there could be both individual kinds of reasons as well as relational ones. Yeah. Usually, each couple is is pretty unique in what is it that that created that, um, you know, the perfect storm, right? That, yeah. that opened for that. Now there are some people that are as the kids will call it, just players, right? That's a whole other type of, of uh, more into the, the area of the sexual addiction kind of thing. That's, that's a whole other kind of conversation. You know, the average, uh, average in quotes kind of couple usually has some kind of relationship situations as well as the, the each individual partner comes in with their own little baggage full of um, emotional stuff and, and it could blow up in the infidelity area. So, I mean, it's funny. Cause you said like the whole, the sex addiction thing is like a whole other conversation, but it was, it was my next question. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I see this a lot, um, where someone gets busted for cheating and now they're a sex addict and I, I'm a sex addict. Right. And, and I, you know, I need help. And, and how often is that true versus a cover? 
that per se is not my area of expertise, but I will say that when you explore the relationship as well as the, the people, very often this is a, a, um, a symptom of something going on either in the individual themselves or more likely the relationship. Mm-hmm. The, the, the sex addict has is going to have more of a pattern, obviously, of behaviors that have to do within the sexuality and the fluidity of sexuality and being able to like take that back, like predating this relationship, sure. okay, sure. very, very often. So would I talk about that as a sex addict? I would I, I'd certainly explore it. You know, where is this, where has this happened? Where else has this happened? Uh, but that's not usually my go-to first um, conversation that I have either with the individual um, and definitely not with the, with the couple. Like I don't like to give, you know, any kind of exits right, <laughs> right away from taking responsibility. I guess what I see a lot is, is people saying, oh, I'm a sex addict as a, like, and now like, as somebody with a, you know, history of 12 step work, like that, that means that you are now taking, now you need to take responsibility for that. Right now. Okay. If you admit you have the problem, then you go and you seek help and you take full responsibility. Mm -hmm. That is not your pass. (laughs) So like I'm a sex addict. So, you know, I can't help it and I'm not going to go into recovery and do anything about it. So correct. And see, that's a great point because that, that if, if you put that directly into the 12 step program, um, I'll tell you, at least in my experience, eight out of 10 of the people who are cheating do not fall into the addiction category, right? Because immediately we're going to start to backpedal and talk about how they weren't, their needs weren't being met in the relationship and, or they fell in love or they, you know, couldn't help it. And so we're not talking about very often we're not talking about addiction um, from that perspective. Does it happen? Sure. There are people that are definitely for a whole bunch of different, you know, personality reasons and, and family reasons, very caught up, right? That sex is the go-to coping mechanism sure. for, for everything. Right. Um, in my experience, that's been the lesser of the situations. And, you know, I have a really I have an interesting way, if you're interested, I have an interesting, what I think is an interesting way in kind of almost determining it from the get-go. Yes. I I asked the couple, was this affair discovered or was it disclosed? So huge. Right? Huge information. Huge. And then I love it. Obviously, I'm still old school with that, Kate. I see a lot of my clients um, in person. I don't I don't have 100 um, percent online practice because I love to watch what happens with people and their bodies when I ask that question. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Ooh, the, the discomfort. <laughs> the discomfort, exactly. And the more discomfort, you know, the more than you can lean, obviously, into which which direction. If this is um, something that got disclosed, odds are you're looking at somebody who at least has some level of, of remorse, some level of intention uh, of wanting to maybe regroup. When you discover and depending on the layers necessary for discovery because you know i have some clients that are like sherlock holmes you know they they have an ability to be able to cut through all of that Mm -hmm. but 
you know, when they, dis, uh, uh, when things get discovered and you watch, like you said, the level of discomfort, it really helps me to really just eliminate the addiction stuff almost right away. Mm. You know? How is that? How, how is that? Um, because, you know, when, when it gets discovered, if you see somebody kind of backpedaling or jumping into the, well, you know, the thing is that we just, you know, haven't had sex in months or you're not paying attention to me or something. Uh, very often those are either individual um, uh, issues, concerns that that person has, or they are very much statements about the relationship. Not in the sense of blame, not it's your fault that my needs aren't being met, but rather there are needs that are not being met in the relationship and we don't know how to express these things until we act out behavior instead of, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. So it, it helps me to determine, you know, and uh, definitely an addict will go more into the, I can't help it. It's just something that happened. Um, you know, it, it's really not my fault. Um, a little bit more than, than the person who is still engaged or, or is engaged within a relationship. Absolutely. So, okay. So let's say the relationship is discovered what, which is probably most of the time, right? Most of the, like few people disclose, right? I mean, it feels like, is that your experience that more, more infidelity is just discovered than disclosed? Yeah. More often than not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to say that, that some people do come and disclose and, and, and those kinds, but yeah, more often than not, it gets discovered, you know, somebody, you know, one partner or the other notices, the differences in, in behavior, the changes in in schedules and timing and interactions and all of those kinds of things. And um, we start to wonder. And then they start to look. Mm-hmm. And then they start to look. Yeah. Right. And so how, what what do you say at that point when you when it's when it's discovered? How do you heal? Like, or what's the next step? Like, how do you determine like, okay, this is something that we're going to be able to get through and work on or not like how how what are you looking for you know if the if the person comes in um as a couple um then you know that's exactly right i'm i'm looking to see what level of commitment they have for this okay if the if the affair was discovered you want to be able to then get a feel for okay so you got discovered are you willing to do this stuff just because you got caught or is there a level of your own engagement, meaning the person who, who cheated? I really talk to like a lot of the, my clients that in that case, they got to be willing to take what I call the emotional hits. They have to be willing to sit there and the, and the hits. So what do the hit look like? Obviously not physical hits, but the emotional ones the questions, the ups and downs, the volatility in moods, the being able to tell the story, um, sincere remorse. And there's, you know, ways that apologies and remorse are are sincere versus not. And so I I tell people that from the get-go, this is is what this could require. There's an, an, an affair really I've, I've worked both ways, Kate. I've worked both ways where 
And a fair has been a wonderful opportunity for a couple to regroup and say, oh my gosh, we have totally neglected this and neglected our relationship for A, B, and C reason. And now, okay, we got it. Yep. And, and I've had people really be able to regroup and grow from that. And what does it take? What does it take to be that couple? To be that couple, it requires, to me, first and foremost, a clear understanding. Are you committed to wanting to be in this relationship? Mm. Because I can teach people, you can teach people how to communicate, how to fight fair, how to do reflective listening. Those are skill sets. We can teach them to do those sure. things. The only thing you and I can't give people is willingness, right? Right. The yep. desire to want to do the work. So that's my one of my first questions in my first session with them. Do you have the commitment? Well, what does that mean? Well, it, it could mean that you're that you're going to do therapy. It could mean that you that you're going to take these emotional hits, and I get clear with them on what that means. It could mean that you're going to have to figure out if you're going to have the tolerance to hear the questions and repeat your story to your partner, right? Because that's one of the first things. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor today. For over a decade, I've helped divorcing moms put their children at the center of all of their decisions. So whenever I hear about moms struggling to co-parent with an ex that abuses alcohol, I have one system in mind, Soberlink. Soberlink's alcohol monitoring system is the most convenient, reliable, and reasonable way for a parent to provide evidence that they're not drinking during parenting time. Soberlink's real-time alerts, facial recognition, and tamper detection ensure the integrity of each test, so you can be confident your kids are with a sober parent. With Soberlink, judges rest assured that your child is safe, Attorneys get court-admissible evidence of sobriety, and both parents have empowerment and peace of mind. Trust the experts in remote alcohol monitoring technology to keep you informed and your kids safe and secure. To download the resource I created with Soberlink, Checklist for High-Conflict Divorces, visit Soberlink.com slash DSG. And now, back to our show. So let's move on. So, so there's two things I think that I, that I want you to dive into a little bit more deeply, which is one is how to tell a sincere apology and what are those emotional hits and what does it look like from the receiver, like the, the betrayer, right? What are they absorbing? The essence of a, of a sincere apology is really um, acknowledging the error or the really just the discourtesy, the the way that you impacted somebody. Mm -hmm. Um, And so how do we know when something is is sincere? First and foremost, right, your your words have to match your behaviors, right? You want to be able to have good eye contact. You want to be able to make the the statements um, that, that all match, right? I'd love when somebody says, I'm sorry, but, you know, if you wouldn't have done that, so anything that's got a butt in it, that's not, that's not being very sincere, right? right. Um, it, it, so so a, a good apology, a sincere apology is about ownership, Kate. It's about taking responsibility for what you did, what you said, and how it's impacted this other person. Right, okay? yes. Um, behavior and words. 
Yes. Right. Right. So it's like, it's making an amends too, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's not making just, amends. you don't get to say, I'm so sorry. I did this thing. Mm-hmm. I understand the impact it had on you. I know that it devastated you and all those things and then keep doing it. Correct. <laughs> That's the, that is the final point for sure. Okay. That you have to stop the behavior. Right. So whatever it is that you did or said can't happen again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's the yeah. complete version of an apology. Yeah. Making amends, like you said. Right. Sometimes that's a little complicated because, right, some of these couples have a lot of, of, of layers of, of things that have happened and have kind of gotten complicated. But it, like you said, at the essence, it, it has to be ownership. And then don't do it again. Right. Yes. And I don't care that we haven't had sex in, you know, in three years because we had babies or, or whatever, Mm -hmm. right. That's not Mm -hmm. right. Because that's a conversation in the marriage. Correct. That's a conversation. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's, that's the essence of a real apology. So let's say the person has done that. That's not, that's not, it doesn't stop there, right? Because then it's the right. emotional hits. Then it's the absorbing right. of the, because, you know, it's all very well and good. You feel really good about yourself that you made this apology. The other person is still sitting with the betrayal and the pain. What are the emotional, what does it look like? What are the emotional hits they still need to be willing to absorb? Mostly I talk to them about the repetition and the volatility. Okay, so they are going to get the biggest form of of emotional hits that I hear um, among my couples is, you know, the the partner that was betrayed wants to hear the story over and over again. Keep saying, but okay, I don't understand. Tell me, like, why you did that and how did you do that? And then they want the nitty gritty details. And then so so you you, the partner who betrayed. it's like, I don't have anything else to tell her. I just don't have anything else that I could say. But the concept is of being able to hang in there and really kind of gauge where. And then the volatility comes in is that, like you said, the part that got betrayed, okay, I heard your amends. I heard you said you're sorry. Um, and, you know, yeah, I, I think that we have stuff here that we could that we could work on and fix together, but I'm still really pissed off at you. Right. And I'm still really hurt by you. So I, you know, I kind of tell them it's kind of like that pendulum that keeps swinging back and forth. And and until it comes into the middle, they got to be willing to tolerate when it's going to both ends, you know, banging against each end of the wall, so to speak. That's right. If they wake up in the middle of the night and they start screaming and they're fucking furious at you, you don't, the response to that is. I love you. I'm here. I'm, I'm holding this with and for you. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry again, not holy shit. Are you kidding me? Exactly. (laughs) Pissed about this. Right. Right. And so to help them find a middle ground in there, Mm -hmm. right. Cause I always say to the person, listen, I understand that they can't keep talking about this forever and ever. You know, that there is doesn't have to be a point in time where the relationship has has kind of come back towards the middle here. And I get it, but it isn't going to be a week after everything got discovered. It's not even going to be, you know, six months after everything got discovered because people want me to tell them a time frame of when she's going to get over this. Right. So I love that. And it's 
This, and, and, and probably the more you're willing to absorb and just hold the space, mm-hmm. they're, um, you know, upset, the, the, the sooner that'll happen. Yes. Right. It's hard sometimes for people to understand that, that yes, the sooner you, you, you sit with that, um, the more space you're creating. Okay. Um, obviously the person who has betrayed, who's, who stepped outside of the relationship, you know, if they are, uh, many of them have their own feelings, right? Uh-huh. Okay. Many of them do feel ashamed. There's a lot of guilt. There's a lot of worry and anxiety on their part as well. You know, if the, if you have a whole life created with somebody, so I'm not going to say that most of these people are, do not have, in my experience anyway, have a great deal of, of internal remorse. Sure. The problem is that the anxiety overwhelms them and then they, they, they want to just kind of move on. How do you address the fact that like, <laughs> okay, there are problems in the marriage that led to this, right. right? Is this a linear thing where you're like, okay, but first we have to go through the process of healing and then we can address the marriage and the issues that led to this betrayal? Or is that a simultaneous process? It's very tough to do it simultaneously. I think ideally it would be nice if we could do it simultaneously. But in my experience, I've found that very often, particularly the spouse that has been betrayed, needs to have, you know, like front and center focus and attention on that. Okay. Yeah. Now, I, I will say to you that, you know, that part of how I, I help them to move that a little bit along is, yeah, let's have some conversations about what had you so upset or so um, uh, detached, let's say, to the, to the person who stepped out. And I try to bring in then the parts that maybe they had been unhappy with that they hadn't been able to. So within the healing piece, there is some learning of uh, expression of of more sincere emotion. Can we create that space? Will we create the time as well for that? You know, our our, our clients are often part of this hustle culture. They, yeah. they don't make time for the relationship. Right, yeah. right. Sure, right. absolutely, right? There has to be space for the healing first. Mm-hmm. It may not have mm-hmm. to be six months, but like, right. we're not going straight from disclosure to relationship problem or Correct. discovery to relationship Correct. problem because right. it feels like that's a shift in focus. Yes. Right. And, I agree. And I think the yes. trade person feels like, oh, wait a minute. I, I'm not, right. I'm not, I'm not there yet. <laughs> right? I'm not there yet. Right. Yeah. And so very often that, that process of making amends, you know, I, I, I definitely agree with you that there needs to be something and it, and I do things that are not just verbal. You know, I really have a couple do, there are different exercises that I help them to, to do. And, and, you know, like with anything else, if they do them, we explore them. If they don't do them, that gives us information also, right. As to where they're at, yes. but different ways to try to see is the, is the reconnection there possible. Okay. So you said something about like the, the, the betrayed part, the person who has done the betraying, right. right. Um, the person who has had the affair or whatever. Um, and then they're like, they have all the guilt and the shame mm. and all of that. Right. And often I'll see them sort of coming to their partner with all mm. of their guilt and their shame. And then again, 
suddenly it becomes all about them and their feelings. About them. Right. <laughs> right. Some, right. How do you handle that? How do you, how do you advise couples or people on that? Well, sometimes that could be a direct place to either, you know, do a little bit of separation where everybody's going to do a little bit of their own individual work, or at the very least, I'm going to have an individual session with that, with each of them, but with that partner and really talk to them about, essentially, it's not your turn right now. <laughs> essentially, it's not your turn right now. And I understand that. Down. <laughs> right. It's not your turn right now. Um, we can get to you. Why you did what you did is important. It's important to your, to your you know, partner to know why you did what you did. However, you know, at this point, this is an example of the emotional hits you're going to take. Like, we can't do you right now. And if you really need to do you, then I'm going to help you to find somebody where you have your own space and time to work through whatever's happening for you. But it can't be in the couple session at this time. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Take a seat. It's not your turn. It's not your turn. And, so, and, you know, I feel bad. I try to say that as nicely because very often these people are sincerely in pain. Sure. Okay. And, and in pain for having created pain to their partners. I, too, am thinking of a, t- of a particular couple right now. And they are, you know, really feeling bad for having done this and so forth. At the same time, it is a piece of the underlying um, relationship issues, as you were saying before, Kate, it's an underlying relationship issue. Maybe it's not overt negative gaslighting directly, but it's that underlying, like my parents are Cuban. And so I was raised with a very much a Hispanic um, a background that very often teaches us how to overextend ourselves and how to be um, very often codependent with our partners. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's that kind of thinking that that brings that they bring right into even you did. And I really do try to stop that, you know, from the get go. It's not your turn. You can we can get to you right now if you want to recommit to this relationship. Because, you know, I tell them too. you know, you don't have to stay here either. It's not just your partner that will leave you or you're going to leave for 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 something else. Everybody has options here and how they want to you know, live their life. Mm-hmm. Right? right. So you, we got to be able to learn how to take our turn. Yeah, that's right. And I, you know, I always have this sort of, it's a really crass sort of image about this sort of thing, which is like, you know, that when someone gets something off their chest, like that they had an affair, even if, you know, if it was disclosed, right. Right. Oh God, they feel so good about it. And then, you right. know, they're like, great. Okay. Time to move on. And the other person he's now, and he's I devastated. He's devastated. Dealing, like I always say, like, sure. It feels really good. You just took a giant shit and you feel great, but the other person <laughs> is covered in your shit right now. In that. <laughs> so exactly. Right. Let's right. give them a minute, give them some right. time. Right. And also right. help them clean themselves off because right. you did it. Right. 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 It's that ownership. See, we're we're back to that ownership. Can you say I did it? Can you say I did it? Can you at least give some um, uh, piece of understanding of how come you did it from your ownership? 
not just I did it because you didn't do this X, Y, or Z, but Mm -hmm. I did it because I was feeling. And so a lot of that is, is the work that many people don't, don't have, but to me is crucial to create that foundation to see whether a couple can really then not only, you know, overcome, but really, you know, become um, connected again. Right. um, After a betrayal. That's right. Do you, in your experience, or even anecdotally, do you find that men and women cheat for different reasons? I'll tell you that mostly anecdotally, I would say uh, yes. Okay. And at the same time, I'll, I'll also say that some of those uh, reasonings have shifted a lot over the years that I've been practicing okay. so that there, you know, many times I don't find that much difference anymore between, you know, um, the person who steps outside of their primary relationship, in my experience, is one of two things. They're either really pissed off at their partner, Mm -hmm. okay, or they are, like, unhappy with themselves, for for lack of a better term, unhappy with themselves, and so continue to kind of need other ways to uh, fill that proverbial egg basket. Yeah. The void. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And there's, and I, I see a lot people who have that sort of void Mm -hmm. and their spouse has gotten to a point where they're like, oh, right. That's not mine to fill. They've been trying and trying and trying to fill it. Right. And then they're like, oh, I actually, that is not mine to fill. I'm now depleted because I've been trying to fill it. And so then they're going to go look for it somewhere else because their wife isn't fulfilling them. Correct. Right. Correct. And, you know, and you would think again, that it would only be uh, in the past historically, right. Very gender, you know, split uh, with men really uh, maybe more of a focus of a sexual, you know, kind of affair or whatever. But I have to tell you that I've seen that shift in, in my office where a lot of, you know, more of the uh, millennials, the, you know, the Gen Z, these kinds of uh, folks, both men and women, you know, they want a different kind of interaction. You know, these guys, Kate, can talk about connection with their with their partners, with their girlfriends, with their wives. You know, my my father didn't know what a connection was. Exactly. <laughs> Right. right. That, that wasn't something he cared about, you know? Right. Um, right. And so, as Gen X, I will say that many Gen X men also don't know what that really means, you know? Yes. So, you know, so I'm seeing it shift in that a lot of these younger couples really have um, expectations um, of, of each other that have shifted some. So I think that then the cheating can, you know, comes from a different place as well. Hmm. Interesting. So interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I sort of, I love that in that, like, wow, we are actually moving towards emotional connection being desired important. by both genders yeah. and important by both. We're actually understanding that this is an important yeah. aspect of relationships. And now we have to figure out how to like talk about it, maintain it before. <laughs> All right. Sustainability, sustainability could be a different conversation, but, but I, I am happily, you know, 
able to see that that they that they at least both wanted. It isn't just the girl who is, you know, stereotypically needy and wanting the the boy to pay attention to her, et cetera, et cetera, but rather that there is a little bit more of, of a collaborative spirit in wanting to create something, you know, like they really do want the other person to be their friend, to be their companion. I love that. Um, do you work a lot in the um, Hispanic and Latin community? I have clients uh, across the board, but, you know, Miami's pretty diverse in that sense. And so even within the Hispanic culture, there's a variety of um, Hispanic groups here in, in Miami with subtle differences and how soon you you immigrated into the States and how you got to the States. That's, you know, a big um peace very often in in how you know do we stay in a relationship where there's been betrayal do we leave there is a a, a variety of pieces to that so I, I would say that I work a lot with Hispanics because we have that's my demographic but you know it's across the board yeah yeah and do you see any differences are you in that, I mean, I guess it depends on on sort of like you said, like where they are in the generational line, right? Where the machismo is still strong and prevalent, or is it starting to fade in the younger generations a little bit? Yeah, and in the in the younger generations, even even in the ones that there's definitely as we assimilate more into into American society, there is definitely expectations that maybe my daughters have that I didn't or that I wanted but didn't know if I was going to get in my own relationship. Whereas my daughters, you know, demand it kind of thing. Um, but okay. even like I said, culturally. You know, if you got to the States 25 years ago versus somebody who got um, here five years ago, and depending which Hispanic nation you come from, I do find differences there in the level of, like you said, machismo, the level of traditionalism. Let's let's put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. But it's nice to know those things are shifting in the in the direction that we would you and I would want them to. <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, I feel hopeful uh, about that and, and being able to have these kind of conversations a lot of times with couples who have not married, who want to marry, that tradition who want to marry, but have these conversations with them about what their expectations are, you know, and, and put it out there beforehand. Yes. Premarital counseling, man. Like, not just not just like one meeting with your priest. <laughs> Right. <laughs> like asking all the hard questions in right. advance. Yeah. In advance. In advance. And and duking them out a little bit because people are always afraid to to fight. And I think, you know, a good, honest, respectful, you know, fight could be right. The flip side of, of being angry is is passion. So it could be really healthy, but it needs to be done in a way where everybody feels listened, heard. Yes. Safe. Right. Safe. Safe. So one last question. You, you know, you talk a lot about recovering the sense of self, Mm -hmm. right. And sort of alongside the betrayal and recovering the relationship, there's a sense of, there's a self piece of this too, right? Like, I don't know, you feel less than, you feel dehumanized, you feel, right, all of the things. So how does someone recover that sense of self? And, and you know, that's really the essence of it, um, Kate, because we talked a lot about, about couples and about couples if they want to, you know, re-engage or not. 
I always talk with with both, but definitely the partner that has been betrayed about everything has to start with with you, you know, with how you feel about yourself. Where where is that big internal critic that we all have inside? How prominent is that voice that's telling you, oh, my God, what did I do? And and how how did this happen? And 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 this is my fault. And how prominent is that voice? What do you do with it? Does it does that voice ever get soothed? So how do you how do you redo this? Is what I encourage people really first and foremost they gotta they gotta be okay with resting. You know, like a like a big piece of 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 a disclosure of this kind is devastating, right? It's a tidal wave of emotions. Even if you had a little inkling that maybe something could happen, you're still devastated. Yeah. You know, even when you want to get out of something, there's still a loss. Right. Yeah. So I really encourage them to rest, to just kind of mind and body kind of rest. And then the the, the healing of themselves starts with that going back or going inward. Because maybe maybe they maybe they never went there first. So of going inward, really, I use things like a, a personal inventory. You know, like, where are you now? And what are things that are important? What things are aligning with this person, right? Because who I am at 50 is not who I was at 20. I encourage them to do what I call uh, play dates. You know, you go and be with yourself and by yourself. And so many women, and that's across the board, but so many women do not like to be alone. Nope, we don't know how to do it. We don't know how to do it. We got to be taking care of something. So that very often is a piece of of how I say to them, the, the really the trusting of yourself, the going back to your instincts has to do with getting to know yourself. And we can only really do that quietly, Mm -hmm. like really sitting quietly, piece of paper and a pencil in your hand, preferably. I fight with my with my millennial clients about that. I want an electronic, I want a piece of paper and a pencil and just really giving yourself an opportunity to see where are you now? What, what are the things that are important for you now? Where would you like to see yourself? And then we can figure out if you're going to re-engage with either that partner or somebody else, but you gotta, you know, that's where we really have to do you first. So beautiful. I mean, it's such, and is that the work that you do with people as they recover in that like initial, like getting sort of the, right after the disclosure and yes, yes, that's part of even even when they want to do the couple's thing, even when they want to jump in to, you know, save the relationship. I very much have a few sessions with, with each one, definitely the partner that's been um, betrayed um, and depending on on how how deep the wound is, right? Whether they go on to do some of their own work and we have to put the couple's work on hold. That's right. Right, because I mean, you gotta have a place to stand in order to be able to, you know, create the, the time and the space. That's right. Yeah. This is just such, been such an incredibly um, informative and important conversation, Hilsa. I'm so grateful. Um, I appreciate it. For you sharing it, it's. I think it's going to impact and help so many women and all my listeners of both genders. But I'm sure you say this to your to your uh, listeners and to your clients, Kate. But just more than anything, just remember that there that there 
are ways out of the rabbit hole, you know, regardless of what your rabbit hole is, there are ways out. And that to me is always the, the important thing is even if the relationship ends up not being what you wanted or you have to let it go there it's it's your rabbit hole still and it's something that you can come out of and that it will take effort and it will take willingness but there is ways out that's what I always want to encourage people to remember I love it I love it thank you so much you're welcome thank you so much for your time and for having me this is great of course. So tell me, tell everyone where they can find you and they can follow you and talk to you. Or- On Instagram is uh, at tough, heal, tough Love Healer. And um, my website, I do have some other kinds of uh, blogs and conversations about some of these topics that you're, that you and I have been talking about with betrayal and, and kind of reconnecting with ourselves and that my website is hilsafort.com. So definitely if you are in uh, Miami-Dade County, you know, look me up. I'd be happy to have a conversation or take you to have a little cafecito if you ever decide to come down into Miami. I love it. I will. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you, Hilsa. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at The Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.